Um, God's put some things in my heart. I'll just try to jump right into it. Um, I'm going to address what I think are three possibly easily answered questions, and then I'll talk a lot about them, you know, and uh, uh, maybe they weren't as easy, or maybe I'm just wasting words, but um, I don't think I've spoken this here before. Um, this wasn't the, the, uh, the, the talk that I've set out to write, but this is what God put in my heart over the last couple of weeks. Um, we've definitely talked about this in our men's brunches. Men's brunches was, weren't in the announcements. There's another one coming up. Make it if you can. Um, but I'm going to uh, try to address, again, if they're easy questions, who does God use? I'll answer it, all kinds. Um, can he really use me? My notes say obvi. Um, there might be a how to that. And do I want to be used by God? I can't answer that for you. Um, but I'll just pray before I go on and rant uh, about all that. Uh, God, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your church. Thank you for this body that is part of your church. Thank you for those of us that get together right now uh, and participate. Um, God, thank you for what you've been uh, speaking to me the last couple of weeks as I prepare for today. Um, just ask you that our hearts my heart, our minds, my heart, mind, um, or my eyes are all open to you, and we're only pointing to you, um, that your, what you want to say uh, is being heard, and we thank you for this time together to do that. Um, so, asking who does God use? Does God use people? Does God use us believers to accomplish his will? Uh, it could be a deceptively simple yes or no, but it probably deserves a definition of God's will, because the last time I tried to talk about that, that's all we talked about. Um, so my desire is to communicate what God's put on my heart without getting stuck uh, in semantics. Um, we are all directed to live by God's moral will. We're directed to live uh, in a, a, a right and wrong, uh, live righteously as we're called to, transformed by his word, transformed by his love, transformed by the Holy Spirit not transformed or conformed to the ways of the world or flesh. But I want to talk more about God's directive will, uh, God directing people in action according to his purposes, God using people to draw people to him in specific ways, talking about obedience, talking about following a path of obedience, calling to, and calling to advance his kingdom purposes, whether or not we see the fruits of those efforts. I also want to be super clear, since we're talking about works, that your salvation, my salvation, not dependent on our work. Let me know if we're agreed on that. Uh, Ephesians, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. This is a gift of God. This is a gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You won't deserve it. Um, it's not a result of works so that no one may boast. I may have expanded on that verse a little bit, but I meant it all. Uh, and I think all can be implied from that. So what are works? Works is just doing stuff. Doing good stuff, obedient stuff, life-changing, world-altering stuff, and none of that saves you. But for those walking in salvation, your transformed heart cannot help but be moved to action. The next verse in Ephesians there, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you're not saved by works, but it's something you're created for. So I may be answering my own question early. I'm going to keep answering it. So works is a natural part of the deal. 
Saved by grace, shown mercy and love out of our own thankfulness, we are moved in love to do his will. So again, before asking who God uses, it's asking does God use people, the verse we just read says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That born again new creation that you now are is able to boast in Christ and created in him, transformed by him, working through him, his strength in us. Is God transforming, equipping, and using people to his will and his work? Scripture seems to think so. So who does he use for his works? Jesus sums it up in four words. It says, whoever believes in him. Uh, in John, Jesus says, I'll keep saying in John, in Romans, in Acts, because these are, don't take my word for it. Uh, look up anything I say. If you want to challenge me, I'll give you a verse. Um, I think it's super important. I definitely hear people say the Bible says, and I don't always think the Bible actually says what they're saying. So, John, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm out of here, but those who believe in me will do the works that I do. Whoever believes in Christ, apparently, has been empowered to do greater works. Misfits like you and me, I guess. It's a low bar. Um, the kingdom of heaven at work. The entrance fee is cheap. Uh, just my whole worthless life. Everything that goes with that. So how does he go about it? How does he go about using those who believe in Jesus? Just before we get into that how, I want to be perfectly clear and aligned with something else. Um, God's will is going to be accomplished with or without me. Uh, God does not need me in this or in any other scenario. He loves me. He wants me to be part of the work he's doing. It's for our benefit that we are included in his works. His will is going to be accomplished with or without me. It's humbling, honoring that he chooses to make us part of this plan and works. So a couple of places where God chooses to use unconventional things. Just maybe drive home that you and I don't have to be part of this equation. It's only because he loves us and wants us to be. Um, the story of Balaam. Balaam acting on his own accord. Numbers 22. You can read the story. It's there. Um, Balaam is acting against God's will. Through the use of a donkey and an angel in the way. God opens the eyes of a donkey Donkey sees the angel. Donkey gets scared. Donkey stops. Balaam beats the donkey. And the donkey speaks. He says, what have you done? What have I done to make you beat me these three times? It's not about the donkey. It's God wills getting done. God can choose to use this donkey. Balaam's walking in disobedience. God puts something in his path. Maybe the angel had some heavy lifting to do there. But God chooses to use a donkey to... Get Balaam acting according to his will. And acting with the scholarship, the voice of God. Uh, <laughs> uh, or the voice of a donkey, maybe more accurately uh, at this moment. Um, again, we're just setting the bar low. If, if, uh, if God's willing to use a donkey, feel free to step up to the plate. I want to hope that my um, posture is in at least equal standing as the donkey God used. Um, and that's what I... Uh, read from Luke as well. Luke uh, 19 is the disciples. Ooh. 
If there's anything you need me to do to help with that, let me know, but I'm enjoying the uh, theatrics of this. Um, <laughs> the disciples, not just the 11 of them, but 12 of them, a bunch of followers yelling, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And the Pharisees take exception to this and say, Jesus, Rabbi, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. God is going to be glorified. Donkeys and rocks are within his toolkit, should he choose to use them. If we don't praise, the rocks will cry out. All of creation is longing, including us, to be liberated from the decay we live in. We are made for the purposes of his glory. Make no mistake, he will be glorified whether or not we live in obedience and according with his will. Because if we don't praise him, the rocks will. His will is going to be accomplished with or without us. Now the us. How does he go about putting to work those that believe in Jesus? Those that Jesus said would do greater work than Jesus himself. Philippians, uh, chapter 2. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's him, he works through us. That's one example here. For context, that verse is about working through our own salvation uh, with fear and trembling. Um, We're acknowledging that it is God who works in us. Christ lives in you, God working in you through you. That's um, it's pretty liberating. It takes a little bit of the pressure off, just opening ourselves up. We have to do the heavy lifting there. Um, in Matthew, this verse spoke to me uh, in a new way in the last couple of weeks. Uh, this is Jesus speaking again. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So that's Jesus talking, calling you and me, calling us the light of the world. We should own that. I think it was I'll tell you why that hit me in a new way in a minute. Right, the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that we may see your good works. Give glory to the Father who is in heaven. There's two other instances that I know of Jesus using the phrase light of the world, and both those times he's talking about himself. Uh, In John chapter 8 and 9, he's saying, I am the light of the world. And here he's telling us, we are the light of the world. Later in Ephesians, Paul tells us not only were we in darkness, but we were darkness. But Jesus is calling us the light of the world. However uncomfortable those words may be, it can be uncomfortable for me. We can believe it, say it's true, because Jesus said it was true. And he's not in the habit of saying things that are false So I can only be the light of the world because I have the light of the world living in me. The purpose of letting our light shine to give glory to the Father who's in heaven. We let our light shine being a living example, giving glory to him. Letting our light shine so that they may see your good works. So I should be letting at least the room, at least the rest of the around the hill, see my good works. And I don't want to confuse that with virtual signaling. I don't want to confuse that with performative charity. I want to be clear that this is seeking God's will, acting on his will, which I can only do through the power of Christ in me, the power of Christ in you, 
the end means of that is giving God the glory. So how does he go put into work those that believe in Jesus? Seems a big step is letting God work in you, on you, through you, and not being shy about it. There's a lot of good places for humility, but if God's getting the glory, we can be loud about that. Again, don't mistake any of this about God needing me. God does not need me. He loves me. He wants me to be part of the work he's doing for our benefit that we're included in his works. Again, I don't know how many times I wrote this down here. His will is going to be accomplished with or without us. It's humbling and honoring. He chooses to make us part of that plan. His name will be praised. He's chosen to use man, imperfect, embarrassing, talk about myself, broken instruments, but all our faults will not block the kingdom. And if our attitudes and postures are correct, we will be put to use. We will be blessed, edified, fulfilled in the process. It's not outside of God's scope to use the unwilling, the unbelieving, the rocks, the donkeys, the pharaohs with hardened hearts. It seems it's a more common method to show his greatness and accomplish his will so that he may be glorified by using the willing believers. It's common in his character to use the less likely candidates to glorify him even more. So now that we've said Jesus uses whoever believes in him, I just want to look at that believer that God uses. What are her defining characteristics? What traits is he known for? This person that God uses for his works. I am speaking to myself more than anybody else in this room. Um, I think I've listed six things. If I was better at this, there'd be seven, and they would all start with the same letter. Um, but hopefully it just lands anyway. <laughs> um, so the first thing about that, that, that person that God uses is totally committed to God. We read from John that the one doing great, greater works than Jesus is just someone that believes in him. Luke, in Luke, Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So if I've denied myself, because I say that, this person shall have denied themselves. We should have denied ourselves. Um, to be totally committed to God, we must logically be sacrificing something else. Jesus always spelled out the cost of what it meant to follow him. Dying to ourselves, dying to our ambitions, laying down our power, our wisdom, and following Christ. It means saying with Paul, as he did on the Damascus Road, Lord, what will you have me do? A commitment to, to God his will, sight unseen, declaring that we trust in his character. Also, we note here, this is Acts 9. Paul, Damascus Road, that's Acts 9. Don't take my word for it. There he says, Lord, what will you have me do? Are we saying, Lord, what will you have me do? And do we mean it? It's not just committed to God, committed to his will. Not just the character of God and what he's done, but committed to his will. The person God uses has denied themselves, picked up their cross, committed to his will, his kingdom advancing will. And it's easy to say, I say it a lot, but I'm confident that often when we, or more so I, say, Lord, I'm committed to your will. Lord, what will you have me do with my mouth right here? My heart might be saying, God, show me what your will is so I can decide if that's right for me. Show me what your will is so I can decide if I want to go along with that or if that's 
a sacrifice I'm willing to make or if it lines up with where, if I'm already going that direction. If you need me to drop something off, well, I'm, I'm going that way anyway. If it's out of my way, I'll think about it. God is your will and inconvenience to me. Well, the person God uses seeks God's will, is committed to God. We have to lay down our wisdom when asking what God's will is and trust him. And that's my third point is trust. So committed to God, committed to his will. The person God uses trusts God fully and completely, has faith, realizes that they're imperfect and are only concerned that God be glorified and that his will is done. In trusting God, we have to recognize our imperfections and not strive to make them perfect and then let God use us. We need to fully believe and confess that God can use us in our weakness. If God wants to use me, he only has one option, and that's to use me in my weakness. Because I don't think my weakness is going anywhere. Um, There are places that he makes me strong, but I'm not getting perfect in this lifetime. Hopefully, maybe just a little bit better. So accepting that the way that we're made, our gifts, our lack of gifts, our personality, our physical traits are not a mistake, but they're how he made us. And in that posture of acceptance, submit ourselves in confident trust to pursue and do his will. And we need to trust that those intentions are good. I've heard straight from people's mouths, and I've said it before, when I've been praying with them, just say, I'm only going to trust God so much. Openly saying, I will keep God at arm's length. It's, It's a posture many people take, but to be conscious of it actually blows my mind. But that's just saying, God, I'll follow you, if I follow you, you're going to make me miserable. That's, there's no trust in that posture. The man God uses, the woman God uses, trust God, trust his providence in all that's past and is present and is next in the unseen, in the future. We trust that his plan, that he has a plan, and his plans for us are good. So where there's something you're naturally good at, there's a good chance in some seasons God is going to use that gift to glorify him. And where there's something you're naturally terrible at, an area where you're lacking, there's a good chance God will use you in that area because you will, he will only be glorified more. All the more reason to live like a lamp on a hill, taking that faith. Faith can be defined as a confident trust, and it's important to realize faith is not a sophisticated synonym for superstition. Faith in the Christian sense is based on evidence. Our faith goes beyond reason, Our faith doesn't go against reason. Thank you. I'll say it again. (laughs) Because it goes beyond reason, not against it. Faith involves believing in unseen realities. I've got plenty of unseen realities. Um, I've got plenty of things that I could say were once unseen realities, which no longer are. So those who can see with an eye of faith have a grasp of the reality of God. It's beyond ours. What he can and will do in a given situation, we're not simply wishful thinkers, this faith involves believing in the power of God as well as character, his character and his integrity. This person that God uses is likely to trust, or sorry, needs to trust only in the character and faith, not only in the character and faithfulness of God, even in the most bleak circumstances, but also trust faithfully in his power to act in impossible situations. Those actions will often go against the logic of the world we live in. People will question you how this is dumb. You have no future living that way. We don't need to trust them. So adding to our picture, this person that God uses is committed to God, committed to his will, trust fully and completely, 
and his love and power. The person that God uses is a man or woman of prayer and obedience. So sometimes people say, often people say, believers and non-believers. I saw it in a TV show the other day. There's nothing else we can do but pray. The situation's hopeless. There's nothing we can do but pray. As though all practical things have now been done, we can only turn to the impractical and pray because we're out of options. And prayer should be our highest priority. Job one before anything else. Stepping into anything, prayer first should become our natural and instinctive posture. And again, I'm speaking to myself here uh, more than anyone. There's no guilt and shame here if it isn't. It only becomes natural through practice, through building each other up in community, by letting the Spirit transform us by the renewing of our minds. That's Romans 12. Get into it. Transformed by the renewing of our minds. The same way that I can't get into this building without opening a door or having someone help me open a door with an insane amount of built-up pressure, I should learn that I can't enter any situation without going through prayer first. Prayer is the way I should be going into anything. There are other ways in this building, I'm sure, and all of them are probably unwise. And that's the way I feel about going into taking a step into anything. I need to go in there with prayer first. And again, this is something I'm struggling with. Heather and I were talking about yesterday. We've promised when we're going to pray every day. And we're going at about 5% of that promise right now. Um, but I truly believe it's, it's when, when, when in my natural step is to pray first, that situation is going to go better or maybe avoid it entirely. God is good and gracious. So we must believe that God is our only hope, not our last hope, if we want the supernatural work to be done. Come to him first. Prayer is a gift. Ruth, who did not read my sermon, started this morning from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus asks, says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Does not say, hit me up when you're out of options. We'll see what we can do. Prayer first, the mode of the person God uses. Committed to God, committed to his will, has faith and trust, relies on prayer, also loves God with their heart, mind, and soul. The ultimate question for the unbeliever is, does God exist? There may be unbelievers in the room, maybe unbelievers listening get into that question. That's an important one. Uh, For the believer, the ultimate question is whether or not God is good. And if he is good and his word is true, we have every reason and more to love him with our heart, our soul, and our mind. Also from Matthew, I love this guy. I don't know who he is, but he came and he said to Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I love the guy who asked that question. This, the, the, this is not new to, uh, to the Jewish people. This is Leviticus and, De- and Deuteronomy. They're, they're familiar um, with these words. But this guy's going, oh, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of commandments. And Jesus has come and put more gravity on the, on the commandments. And people are saying, or are, are asking about them, he's saying, uh, you know, the, the law says, 
don't commit adultery, and I say don't look at somebody with lust. And uh, uh, people are worried about loving their neighbors, and Jesus is telling them to love their enemies. So this guy's probably concerned. He's going, I, I, can't, I can't do all this, so just, just tell me what the big ones are. Maybe if I can hit, hit those up, I'll, uh, we'll, be, we'll be good at the end of the day. Maybe he'll get to, on judgment day, say whoopsie about all the coveting and adultery, but I, I honored the heck out of my mother and father. Are we good? Um, I love it. It's, it's, I, 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 can't, I can't say I haven't lived that way. Saying, well, I'm doing okay here, so I'll figure the rest of that later. Um, these are all well-known commandments. But what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind? And so if I divided myself on a few, few plates here and put my heart, my body in one and my mind and my thoughts in the other, my soul in the other, there's nothing left of me. So in short, this just means loving him with all of you, holding on to no part for yourself. Um, or as Jesus said, again in Matthew, this is back in chapter 6, no one can serve two, math, two masters. He'll hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or mammon uh, wealth and possessions. Don't think this is limited to wealth and possessions. This is you cannot serve God and. You can fill in the blank for yourself, my own selfish desire, the things that I think are important. Um, I can't serve my family without God. The person God uses is committed to him, his will, trusts him, is prayerfully obedient, and loves God with all of their being. And now we've made it to number six. And they work, didn't all start with the same letter and they don't spell a cool word, but hopefully they're going to resonate anyway. This person loves the Word of God, which is something I'm trying more and more to do. The person God uses is the one who obeys God at all costs, and to obey His commands involves an awareness of what His commands are. And I think it starts with familiarity with His Word, the Scriptures. His will is so much more easily discernible than we think if we expose ourselves to what he's already said. I don't know how to have any kind of relationship with any of you if I'm not willing to listen to what you've already said. So God's given us his word so that we may know him. To love him is to love the word. To walk with God day by day in the reading of his word, fellowship, and communion of prayer. Paul writing in Timothy says, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, and that the follower of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, Scripture is so clear that it's not works that save us, but there's an awful, an awful lot talking about equipping us for work, so it seems to be an important part of our walk. And what reason do we have to discard or ignore something so valuable? I do not read my Bible enough. But it's a gift we've been given for training in righteousness that we may be complete, equipped for every good work, for his work is good. If we're to do his work, then we should be equipped. My third question was, do we want this? Do I want to be used by God? Are we in a posture of keeping God at arm's length? Or, I mean, I've got kids who just pretend not to hear you. Maybe, that, maybe that'll go away. Um... Some of those previous questions I can answer with some satisfaction, imperfect and clumsily. Um, 
So that's that person that God uses is totally committed to God, committed to his will, trusts God fully and completely, leads a life of prayer and obedience, loves God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and loves the word of God. And again, it's with, within God's unending and limitless power to use any and all things, willing or unwilling, to accomplish his purposes. Again, pharaohs, rocks, and donkeys are available to him. I've known plenty of pharaohs, rocks, and donkeys. I've probably been a rock and donkey plenty. But it's not the calling of our lives to leave the work for someone else. This is purpose. Why would I leave my purpose to somebody else? The purpose of man is to glorify God. I won't even argue that one anymore. I think it's something we hopefully agree on. I think I got a list of about 30 verses that will back that up. Please go ahead and hit me up. I, uh, I spent a long time very excitedly digging into that. Um, but I'll pick right now. First uh, Corinthians 10. Uh, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's, this, is, this all for the glory of God is actually Paul addressing division in the early church. And his answer about what you eat and drink and whatever is, I don't care. Just do it for the glory of God. If you can't do it for the glory of God, then maybe don't do it. But we're made for the glory of God. In Isaiah, God says, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created from my glory, who I formed and made. So God is saying, you're created for his glory. So don't argue with me. This is purpose. Another little quote on purpose. A sense of meaning and purpose and overall life satisfaction are central to having a good quality of life. I didn't make that up. A sense of meaning and purpose and overall life satisfaction is central to having a good quality of life. You're not going to find that in Scripture? I found that on a Statistics Canada website. This is what our government believes for us. So God and the world agree that purpose is essential. The world is looking for purpose. The world is, StatsCan is doing interviews trying to find out if people have, have purpose because they're concerned with people's quality of life. The world is looking for purpose, and we have been offered it already. And I think a lot of the world knows that and wants to find it somewhere else that they feel is more convenient when we've already been given this gift. So for me, the question, do I want to be used by God for his good works, is actually a no-brainer, which is good because I haven't got that much of a brain. But I've been given purpose. I know that. I've been given a gift, the freedom to be a slave to Christ who's captured my heart. The world's full of people wandering, trying to find purpose and meaning, and we've had a gift wrapped in the risen Christ, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit living in us. And if we do desire this, can we come alongside each other in this? Can we do it alone? Should we do it alone? Is the model we're given to do this alone? Do we desire this for our own lives and each other? How can we be sharpening each other? I am humbly grateful to report it does not have to look the same for all of us. Um... I'm thankful for in the past menial labor jobs that I've had that left me so much time to be in my head while my hands were busy um, and, and listen to the Lord as a dishwasher in a restaurant um, 20 odd years ago. I remember God speaking to me and showing me what it is to take out filthy, dripping, disgusting garbage bags to the glory of God, uh, learning to align pallets in a warehouse in a way that was pleasing to the Lord what I'm really thankful for is not just the time that he spoke to me, but I'm thankful for the harsh lunchrooms and the back alleys where everyone smoked by the dumpsters, um, where people would ask me, why do you work so hard? 
because then I was able to speak on the calling and purpose of my life that had nothing to do with chucking garbage and stacking pallets. Even though I was one to do whatever I did to the glory of God, he could use me in those places. Use me in those places I found easier than when I had nicer jobs. Um, I was able to witness in those places. And I have some other good news before I wrap this up. Is we don't all have to chuck garbage and be dishwashers. I don't want to belittle those or any other jobs, but our jobs are just our jobs. We're called to glorify God in everything we do, but what we do, as in our jobs, isn't necessarily that calling. We're not called to do the same thing, serve in the same way. The kingdom of God has no uniform. The kingdom of God, however, is unified. We're to be unified, not uniform. The only sameness between us needs only to be our love for God and each other and our willingness to do our part according to our gifts. I'm so glad that there's nothing uniform about it. I think Nick brought the food today. No one needs to bring my heritage of food because craft dinner only goes so far. (laughs) (laughs) Mayonnaise and Wonder Bread. I'm so glad that we don't have to be the same. Um... Just a bit on those gifts and not being the same. I just want to talk about that, that unity in the body of Christ. I'm on my last page here. Maybe there is a seventh thing I'll add to that list after all. But Ephesians 4. And I think I'm probably hijacking some of what Andrew's going to get to in Ephesians, but this is what God had in my heart, so I'm sure Andrew can cope and just uh, expand and do this better. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you've been called by God always be humble and gentle be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love make every effort effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace for there's one body and one spirit just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future there's one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father in all who's over all in all and living through all however he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Skipping ahead, these are the gifts Christ gave the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It's their responsibility to equip God's people to do his work. There's that work again. Build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. So apparently moving in our gifts and being unified, we don't have to worry about a bad gospel because we won't be blown around by clever lies and, and deceived by clever lies. Instead, we'll speak truth and love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work, helps the other parts grow so the whole body's healthy, growing and full of love. So that person God uses, and I ended up with seven, I'm sorry, totally committed to God, totally committed to his will, Trust God fully and completely. Leads a life of prayer and obedience. Loves God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind. Loves the work of God. Does their own special work 
according to the, their gifts. I won't get into Corinthians, but Corinthians 12, where the, the body's not made up of just one part, has many parts. Read it. It's got a lot to say about that. Really, it's saying just do your part. I just want to do my part. Be humble, be gentle, be patient with each other. Allow for each other's faults. Stay united, not uniform in the spirit. Bound together with peace. Doing our own special work according to our gifts. Hand be a hand, foot be a foot. I be an eye. CEO, please be a CEO faithfully. Serve the body you're part of faithfully. CEOs or anybody can come clean the toilets, that's fine, but maybe don't wax the floors if you don't know how. It's like a child loading a dishwasher. Someone else is going to have to do it later anyway. Do the work that you're called to. Act in your own special gifts. Don't hold any part of the body higher than any other. Hold each other up. Be the person that God uses. Available. Trusting him fully that his purposes are good. And it's in our weaknesses that he can be glorified. Be that light on the hill. Thank you, God for the opportunity to be a light on a hill. God, please continue to teach us and show us what that means. Show us how to be committed to you, committed to your will. Show us we can always grow in faith. Help us sharpen each other in prayer. Help us more to love you with every piece of us laying down every part of us that might get in the way. God, teach us to love your word more because it's good for us we're built to glorify you uh, and we are humbled fulfilled and edified in living according to your ways amen